Legally Sound Smart Business presents Behind the Buy. It's my first time buying a business. We wanted to provide a window to this whole buying process. So you have to be agile and be ready to kind of face those uh, twists and turns. I'm a little anxious because we may have moved a little faster than we originally discussed. If you do not want the seller to walk away, we need something to bind them uh, with a letter of intent. I'm really actually very excited. This is Legally Sound Smart Business, where your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stomp, cover business in the news and add their awesome legal twist. Legally Sound Smart Business is a podcast brought to you by Pasha Law PC, a law firm representing your business in California, Illinois, New York, and Texas. Here are your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Staub. Welcome to Legally Sound Smart Business. This is our second episode of Behind the Buy, our series where we take a look at the transaction of buying a business with our client. You get to listen in on our phone calls. My name is Nasser Pasha. And I'm messed up. So this is our first real episode. I think our first episode was just kind of an introduction of, of our series, but this is where we really get to the meat. And we're going to play our first phone call, and at this stage, we're kind of just setting things up, right? We're talking about the actual initial uh, uh, transaction of uh, negotiating the business terms through what is called a letter of intent. Yeah, it's just some some table setting, if you will, just the document that starts the whole transaction and kind of discussing the terms that are in there, what should we, what should we include, what shouldn't we include, um, and yeah, just just kind of prepping our client and getting this whole thing started. Right. And so even though I think this is a pretty straightforward part of the transaction, I think there's a lot of important information here when a buyer is looking to purchase a business, the different options they have on how they make the offer and how they structure it. There's a lot of discussion to be had to before things are put in writing. And so this is a, a, a critical step, but it's also really sets up everything that's going to be coming, the twists and turns, if you will, of this particular transaction. Yeah, exactly. So uh, as always, we're going to have a little overview of some of the of defined terms or vocabulary. It's not to say that most of you probably know this information, but in the phone call itself, we, we, we may not take a moment to define them during the call because, of course, it's a natural conversation. So let's go over some a, a few words in here so that everyone's prepped for this listen. So the first are a set of three, okay? There's the term sheet, the letter of intent, and memorandum of understanding. From a client's perspective, often they use the, these different three terms interchangeably. And in a way, they could be very interchangeable in the sense that from a legal perspective, a term sheet, an LOI, and a memorandum of understanding, or letter of intent, I should say, for LOI, they all can have the same legal effect if they're drafted in such a way. But the best way to distinguish each of them from is usually just from a formatting perspective. I know that sounds oversimplified, but I would say that a term sheet is probably the most informal of the three, and the memorandum of understanding is the most formal. But all three are some written document, and they all include the basic terms of the business transaction. 
However, a term sheet is very rarely a enforceable document. Sometimes it can be very casual. A letter of intent is pretty much always a unenforceable document. However, it may have enforceable provisions. And a memorandum of understanding is almost always an enforceable document, but may have some non-binding provisions in it. And so really the distinction between the three is, a, is in the details. Because for example, a term sheet for which you outline the terms of buying a business uh, that is signed by both parties could end up being unintentionally a binding document. And, and similarly with a letter of intent and an MOU. So that's why even if you wanna casually offer something in a term sheet, even in an email exchange, you really should get an attorney involved very early to make sure you don't accidentally walk into a trans, an enforceable transaction that you you can't get out of. Right, and just to chime in real quick on this, I mean, like, like you said, they could take all three could take different forms, and you know, they're each one is known to have certain things or not have certain terms in it. But it is like you always say, the devil's in the details on this, and you know, you have to look at the actual. Uh, pr- underlying provisions in each document to, to really get what you're working with. That's what's the substance is ultimately what's important. Right. And so we focus on the letter of intent here. That's our kind of go-to because often you can have certain, most of your terms outlined as you make an offer to buy a business, or if you're making an offer to sell your business are going to be non-binding provisions. So that's the default for most letters of, of intent as, you know, if it's drafted properly. But then in this particular call, we also talk about something called a no-shop provision. And this is actually going to be a binding part of the letter of intent. And just to define what that is, a no-shop provision basically prevents the seller from so-called shopping around or entertaining offers or or if they're for example if they're publicizing the fact that they're selling their selling their business they'll have to stop publicizing that because that would be a violation of that no shop provision and that's what we call it but obviously it's a it's a two or three sentence paragraph that defines what the seller can't do yeah and then the couple other terms here and we'll group these together as well we have uh, asset purchase and equity or, or stock purchase so we get into this in, in great detail, not only in this episode, but kind of throughout the, the whole series. But an asset purchase is is what it sounds you're you're buying just a just the assets of a company as opposed to a stock equity purchase where you're buying everything. I think Nasser, you have a you have a good kind of analogy in here with the the whole building uh, hypothetical that you. Pro- that you pose. I don't want to ruin, I don't want to spoil that here, but yeah, don't, that's yeah, kind of the way to look at it. <laughs> don't steal my thunder, of course. Yeah. yeah. No, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how that analogy plays out. And so, yeah, that is kind of a basic, I, I feel like we we do define that in, in good detail, but I, I at least understand that there are two different things. There are two types of structures of, of buying a business, an asset purchase versus an equity purchase. And then one thing that also comes up is something that's called a change of control provision. And the context of what this is, is that when you do an asset purchase, you only assume the contracts that you choose to do so, and those contracts have to be assigned. And usually an assignment requires permission of, of both parties. Whereas if you buy an equity purchase, if you buy the company and, and its stock, then you actually are in the shoes of the seller. And so therefore, usually you don't require an assignment uh, or, or permit, I should say, you don't require a, a permission from the other party the third party contract but if there's a change of control provision 
often that other party requires consent before that contract can also apply to the new owner, even though it may be an equity or stock purchase agreement. So that's the context of the actual change of control provision. So this is a little, this episode's a little vocab heavy, but it's still an introduction. So don't worry, we, we go through this in a little bit more detail uh, later in the episode. Yeah, so, I mean, and that makes sense too. We, we're introducing a whole new transaction and a, a lot of things that, I mean, especially for our client here, she hasn't encountered before. So it's very helpful to ex- explain all these out or provide an explanation before we really jump into everything. Right. So let's listen to our call. You'll hear our buyer for the first time in depth. Uh, she's very, very smart, a uh, little optimistic, which of course I think everybody is, including the attorneys at this point, but we'll see what lies ahead and what kind of twists and turns comes comes through there. Yeah. All right. Let's have a listen. Matt, you there? Yeah, I'm on. Okay, great. Bob, you there? Yep, I'm here. Okay, perfect. So let's start. We wanted to provide a window to this whole buying process. So I, I just want to give you some advice You know, from the beginning. As you go through this, every process is the same. It's always ends up differently how you, you know, expect. So just you have to be agile and be ready to kind of face those uh, twists and turns. For sure. I, I agree. Well, and it's my first time buying a business, so I don't really have a lot of expectations, but I totally get your point. Okay, perfect. Uh, great. Let's get through this. So, Okay. So um, actually, I'm a little anxious because we may have moved a little faster than we originally discussed. Um, I really don't want the seller to start talking to other buyers as he's pretty much agreed to our valuation of dollars, um, but I can really see other buyers trying to bid that up. Yeah, I think we can help with that. Let's start with some background of the business and go from there. Okay. Um, so my partner and I have been planning on opening an urgent care in um, he's a physician, and he happened to know a colleague who runs an urgent care, um, but he moved out of the state a couple of months ago, and I think he just wants out. Okay. And how old is the business? Um, I think it's only about two or three years at most, um, and it has many of the basic payer contracts, and it's in a really good location, but um, we have some bigger plans to take it to the next level, like adding some wellness and spa aspects to it. Yeah, and that's obviously a big trend going on, and we can talk about that you know, more later. Okay, right. So have you thought about how you'll structure the business as, you know, you probably know in California, it, it, like many states, it prohibits the corporate practice of medicine. So you have a physician partner, so you're aware, like, you're going to have to have your physician partner be the one that to actually buy the business and be the actual owner, right? Yes, exactly. And um, that's the plan. Um, we were going to have a management company set up to operate the business, and I would basically run that. Okay, got it. So that's, that's the MSO model. Very common, and we can discuss more on how to structure that, but uh, that's that's pretty typical. Okay, and I think that's some good background. I, I think next we should talk about how we can lock in the seller from going anywhere else. We understand that you haven't made a formal offer, but if you do not want the seller to walk away, we need something to bind them uh, with a letter of intent. Okay, how, how does that work? So most transactions like these typically start with a term sheet, memorandum of understanding, or in this case, a letter of intent. So basically an offer, but it's typically non-binding for the most part. Uh, The big advantage of LOIs are typically they have a no-shot provision, or also called an exclusivity period, uh, which is enforceable. So this prohibits the seller from talking to other potential buyers for a certain period of time. So let's say 30 or 60 days, or or whatever the parties agree to. So uh, think of it this way. You're 
you're pretty much locking them in a room for you to negotiate the details of the acquisition, even though, again, you're signing something, most of the material terms aren't, aren't going to be binding, but it's, it's a good way to get them locking them in without really actually committing fully, especially on your side. Because I mean, you know, you don't know everything about the business yet. Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure we want to make the purchase. So it, would it be possible or maybe even quicker to just go ahead straight to the purchase paperwork? Oh, we can, but I would avoid doing that. Uh, I'll tell you why. So LOIs can be really simple to draft out quickly. Literally, you know, our office can do it within a day if need be, where a full purchase agreement, yeah, we have, you know, our forms that we've used before, but it if to do it right, to make sure that you're protected, we really need to have spend some time on that. And that can, mm. that, that takes, you know, some time to get that done. Right, and I was going to say, we also need to, discuss what terms are going to be in the LOI too. Right. Okay. Um, well, we have a price, but um, what other terms uh, would we need for the LOI? Yeah. So typically we want uh, some closing terms and also whether this is going to be an asset or equity purchase. Is that something you've thought about in terms of how to structure it? Um, no, actually, I think I'm going to need some help and guidance on that. I could see it going either way for this, but you know, we don't have to put that in the LOI. If, if, if we're unsure, usually it's pretty obvious in the beginning, but if we're unsure, I don't want to commit one way or the other without doing some further due diligence on this, but we, we do need to talk about it though. Okay. So it's, it's non-binding and, and we can change it later. So it doesn't necessarily have to be perfect. Uh, yes, it, it is non-binding and technically you can change it later, but I mean, this is more practical advice than a legal one. If, if you're not sure of a term, I'd rather leave it out because once you put it in there, then it, it, just from a basis of negotiation, it's kind of hard to move from that. And so unless you have some kind of baseline where you know where you, where you think you'll be, I, I just don't want to commit to anything if we don't have to. Yeah, got it, got it. That makes that makes sense. Okay, so let's try to figure out the structure issue. So perhaps, Matt, can you, let's go through the differences between you know the equity or asset purchase, and then perhaps we can decide on this call or if we need more time, we can look into it further. Sure. So generally speaking, an asset purchase is going to be more common. It allows you to buy the assets without assuming any of the liabilities, unless you specifically choose to, of course. And the assets can include everything from the name of the business uh, to the office furniture and equipment, et cetera. So we're talking about both tangible and intangible assets. On the flip side, you have an equity or stock purchase, which puts you in the shoes of the seller who owns the business entity, giving you everything. So all the assets the entity owns, as well as the liabilities. Now, you would have limited protections from third-party creditors, even if the seller usually, in either case, promises to identify you if there are any claims that deal with any issues prior to closing. Sometimes that may not be very comforting since the seller may have just sold their income-generating business to you and, and may not have a way to pay uh, if any big issues come up. Okay. Um, I, I think I understand. Yeah, I know that was a lot, but... Um... Let's see, let me, let me put it this way. So let's say that if the seller has an LLC, okay, let's picture this LLC as a building with all sorts of stuff in it. Basically, they're assets, right? So in an asset sale, the seller will sell you all the stuff inside the building and he's going to stay in the building and he's just going to move all the, all the stuff to you. You're, you're basically purchasing. Whereas an equity deal, he's, he's like, okay, forget about moving all this stuff, just come into my building and I'll leave and you'll take over this building. And the problem with that is that, yeah, you get all the in stuff inside, but you also have this building to take care of and 
you don't know if there's underlying issues like a leaky roof or what have you, or and you know to be more practical to this uh, analogy, if there's underlying lawsuits or debt that that LLC may own, it it could cause problems down the line. Okay, I, I think I got it, but it doesn't really seem like there would be any reason to do an equity purchase just so that there's no liability. Okay, true, but there actually are quite a few reasons why you end up wanting to do an equity purchase. Uh, from a buyer's perspective, it's usually more advantageous to do an asset purchase. But for example, in your case, those network payer contracts, uh, that's that's going to be important for you, I assume. And when you do an asset purchase, the contract's aren't automatically transferred. Where an equity purchase, you're put in the shoes of the of the seller, and so typically that's automatic. The only caveat to that with payer contracts is sometimes they have what is called a change of control provision. So what will end up happening is even if you do an equity purchase, you still may need to get the permission for the payer to actually assign those contracts. I Okay, I see. And that's really important to our financial modeling um, because... You know, he has a pretty decent network of contracts, and I just really want to make sure we secure those. Right. No, I understand. That's, uh, I assume that's going to be a, a big focus for us. So, another thing to consider is that sometimes certain regulatory licenses are not easily transferred. Now, I don't think urgent cares have a special license in California, but I'll confirm that. But as an example, let's say that, you know, in order to run the urgent care, you have to get a whole new license or get a whole new CLIA license or pharmacy license where that may take some time where you can just actually buy the equity and you basically own the license from day one. And sometimes these licenses aren't transferable too. So um, Okay. So I guess let me contact the payers or I guess I can have the seller contact them to figure out how we can transfer those agreements, but we don't need to decide all of this today, right? Right. That's not something we have to put in the LOI. I actually think we have everything we need. We do need the exact name, though, of the business entity that the seller's using. Do we have that? Um, okay, I, I have it somewhere, and I'll, I'll, I'll email it to you. Is that okay? Yeah. Oh, and also, I, I looked up on the Secretary of State. I assume it's him. Is it? Yes, that's the one. Okay, great. So we have the seller's name, purchase price, and we'll make the due diligence, no shop provision, 30 days. Is that enough time to negotiate everything pretty much? Yeah, that should work, um, but we would have more time to actually close, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, and Chris, so keep in mind the 30-day 30, 30 period is just for you to do some basic due diligence and so we can figure out how to structure the deal and draft the purchase agreement. Yeah, and also you're, I assume you're paying all cash or are you, no seller financing, in other words, right? Yeah, we may get a loan, but no seller financing. Okay, perfect. Um, okay, and then... Okay, so usually they ask for some down payment or earnest money when you sign the purchase agreement, and sometimes we put that in the LOI as well. Have have they mentioned anything about that at all? Um, they they haven't mentioned anything, but honestly, I'm fine doing that. Um, more than willing. Got it. Okay, so if they haven't mentioned it, let's just leave it out. You know, with this kind of size of uh, transaction, most likely they will, but we can address it then. You know, obviously, it's not in your favor to do that necessarily if you don't have to. Oh, okay, perfect. So I'll send you that info as soon as I can and as soon as I get in front of a computer. Um, but thank you guys both so much, and we'll talk soon. Okay, cool. All right, thanks. Bye. Okay, welcome back. Let's just take a quick break because we do have to pay the bills for this podcast. Um, this podcast is sponsored by who's our sponsor today, Matt? 
yeah, well, you know, for the for this first episode, we got a pretty big sponsor, and it's uh, it's Pasha Law PC. Ooh, very prominent business law firm, and I think if, if I let me just look it up here, yeah, they operate in Illinois, Texas, New York, and California, West Coast to East. So uh, again, thank you for your sponsorship, Pasha Law. I'm, I'm yeah, great firm, PashaLaw.com. Okay, well now now we got done paying the bills. Um, let's talk about that call, Matt. I mean, this is a the first step of our buyer's process. Uh, you know, obviously we 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 talked to her prior a little bit about you know buying a business and so forth. And she's obviously she knows what she knows what she wants. She's kind of already. She, in fact, she was pretty familiar with that MSO model, which uh, uh, which is by the way stands for Management Service Organization, and the whole corporate practice of medicine. I, I would say most of our clients don't even. Yeah, you know, at, at this point, don't really get that, and it's kind of a high-level uh, aspect of uh, this particular industry in urgent cares. Right. So my initial takeaways were were two things. One, what you just said, I was reminded how uh, well versed uh, she was, and in, in you know how this was going to ultimately be structured in terms of operating the business itself. Now, and the other thing was the um, just the general understanding of what's supposed to be in the LOI and kind of the term. So obviously she had discussed some of those items. Um, other ones sounded like she might not have even considered. It's it's difficult to, to kind of think about it this way because obviously we kind of you know walked her through from beginning to end. So and I can't always remember at what point we discussed certain things, but you know those, those are the things that really stuck out to me. Just she, I, I agree with you that she was very um, de- had definitely kind of thought this through in more of a long term perspective, which you don't always see in these purchases. It's more so I just need to get to the point where we do the purchase and you know move on from there. So I, I've I was uh, reminded how impressed I was by that. Yeah, and I would say also those the the terms that you put in an LOI is somewhat natural, right? Because generally you want to put everything in there that are the broad stroke terms of your agreement or what you're offering them. And it's but at the same time, it's not surprising, for example, that she had not thought about whether there's going to be, you know, uh, any escrow or down payment. We did ask her about whether there's going to be seller financing. These are some things that you would often put in there. Like, for example, if especially when it comes to the purchase price, a lot of times the seller is going to want to know, okay, am I going to get 100% of the cash at closing or is it going to be parsed out? Am I going to get any kind of escrow or earnest payment? And those are some ways to also make the deal a little bit more appealing. It's just like you know buying a house. We all know when you put a cash offer in, it's a little bit more appealing than if someone that is going to go through financing. So some of these things that you, if you disclose ahead of time can actually make your letter of intent or offer a little bit more appealing. Right. And if you think about it, what's so, let's say you have a prospective buyer, prospective seller, the first things that are going to be discussed are, you know, obviously one, what are you going to be buying? Um, and that's kind of touches on the asset versus equity piece. But the the next thing's probably the price. And we've just had people come to us in the past and they say, well, we have, we have a rent, we haven't decided, finalized the price, um, but we, you know, kind of have a range in mind. So I, I think those are the initial items that get focused on. Right. And and this this buyer wanted to move fast. I think she even mentioned faster than she originally expected, but had concerns about the seller going somewhere else. And we talked about a little bit about this on the top of the episode, is how do you get a 
seller to make sure you're, you're locked in. And you mentioned the exclusivity aspect, and, and we, we, we call that also a no-shop provision. And what I found interesting about this is that, and because I, we've been on the both sides, we've been on the buyer side and the seller side when it comes to these exclusivity provisions. And one thing that I'll note is that even if you have this binding exclusivity, they're often just bound from you know making solicitations, right? But but it's kind of hard to enforce because there's always a lot of kind of backdoor wink, wink, like hey. You know, if this deal doesn't go through, we can always go to these guys, maintain the relationship. Uh, we don't have to tell them that we're selling, but we can, you know, maintain that communication throughout that time. And so, even if you have that exclusivity, it's one of those things where you, you got to put it in writing, got to put it in, but it's not your end all be all to protect you. At the end of the day, if you want to get the seller to be committed to you, you have to be the most attractive offer. And you have to maintain that, frankly. And we we make this analogy all the time on the series of Behind the Buy with how buying buying a business is just like a marriage, right? And even if you're committed, you still have to do, you know, even if the parties are committed to each other, right, so to speak, you also have to be uh, maintain that attractiveness to each other as well. Otherwise, there, there, there's going to be uh, problems down the line. Did I take that analogy too far? <laughs> Maybe a little bit. No, I mean it's. Uh, if, you've, if you've listened to our shows in the past, I, I think that's. I think that was uh, perfectly fine. So I don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think anyone was. So the other big discussion, you know, listening back to this, was the the asset versus equity piece, and so, and the two things people probably talk about, or prospective sellers, prospective buyers, are what are you buying and, and the price. For me, the what are you buying is falls under the asset versus equity discussion, but it doesn't always mean that that's what the seller and buyer are talking about. But ultimately, that's kind of what they're getting at. I mean, if if it's a, uh, I, I liked your building analogy actually. I, I forgot about that because I think that's a very apt way of of putting the, you know, whether are you buying the whole building itself and all all of its good things and all of its flaws, or are you picking and choosing what you want, which would be more in line with the asset purchase. Right. And you know what's funny is, I, I don't know if it's the most perfect analogy, but I actually, that was the first time I had used it. And I still, I've been using it lately now to ex explain the differences. Anyway, so on the letter of intent, we in this case, we chose not to mention whether it's going to be an asset or equity purchase. And, and I think that's pretty uncommon for us because usually... Usually we know at, right at the beginning, but in, in deciding to leave it blank, I think it was a good idea because we weren't completely sure, even though I think you know where we ended up, and that's something that we'll talk about in the next episode, I think, is was, was where we were heading to, but I think it was a good idea to just leave it open. Yeah, and that's fine, right? It's the... Like like we mentioned, uh, you know, these aren't the necessarily the final terms, and I mean, even, just look at the name itself. It's a letter of intent. You know, you you can make it binding, non-binding, what have you, but it's the intent of a buyer to purchase from a seller. Right. And so, if you can't come up, if you can't finalize that, especially if it's going to be an asset purchase, I mean, you're you're most likely. I mean, it's the seller probably hasn't even disclosed all the assets, or maybe not be, be able to disclose all the assets, and the buyer hasn't haven't had their chance to do the due diligence, which is another episode we'll get into. So it's pretty common for that discussion to fall out fall out the way it did. Yeah, I I, I think that's right, definitely. So another thing that I I just was thinking about, you know what you know what we didn't talk about was uh, typically 
what we have in the LOI, if the parties, and I think this was this case, and remind me if I'm wrong, Matt, in this particular transaction, they had not signed an NDA prior. Right, correct, and uh, and so so what we and which is uncommon. Usually, sellers are going to want an NDA before even you start talking, but uh, or exchanging information. But sometimes it's at this letter of intent at the least, and so we often include for protections mostly for the seller to make them feel comfortable that all the now that we put this letter of intent and you sign it, we enter into this due diligence period, which is um, you know coming up in a couple episodes that the information that you're providing is all confidential. And so we'll put in a confidentiality provision in an LOI. And that's something that I don't think we really elaborated because sometimes it's pretty obvious like that that that's in there. It's not a it's not a term that you often negotiate or, or differs from LOI to LOI. Yeah, you're gonna see some form of that if there hasn't been an NDA sign, you're gonna see some form of that in any of those, you know, if it's an LOI or any of the other uh, the other two documents we discussed, just because you obviously don't want a situation where, you know, you're you're discussing an actual purchase and then you know either party's free to uh, go discuss it with anyone else. Right, and and NDA by the way is non-disclosure agreement. Just in case we f- forgot to define that or add out to our vocab words. Well, let's see. I think I think that's. Uh, I mean, this is just the start, guys. I mean, this is just the first initiation. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you that uh, this. This transaction, I would say, and we talked about this in our first episode, but this transaction is a does is typical, but still goes through its own twists and turns that are pretty interesting. So um, just you know, stay tuned. You know, the, the I think the next episode also we're 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 getting into the a, a new party comes in, right? It's that what I call that interloper broker comes into play. And we'll talk more about, about that in the next episode. I've never heard you call the broker an interloper, but uh, <laughs> it's a it's well most most brokers are not interlopers. This guy this guy was an interloper. Yeah, it's and I, I view it as this, not the broker piece, but just the you said the twist and turns of you know every every episode this is our our first season of uh, I guess this this form of our podcast. But they always promise that this is going to be the most exciting season ever, most exciting finale. So we can definitely promise that, right? Because it's it's the first one. I like that. All right. Well, very good. So thanks for joining us. Don't forget to you know tune into our next episode. We also have okay. So this is really important. And if you're listening to this, like this is an obligation. You promise to do this. This is in fact in consideration of listening to this podcast, you have to do what. You have to leave a positive five, 10 star review, however, whatever, however many stars there are, multiply that by two. That's how many stars you, you have to leave us for review for our podcast. Right, Matt? Yeah, I think that's. Or should we multiply it by three or two? Two is good. Yeah, two is probably sufficient. And then, of course, uh, always looking for feedback. And if you have questions that you want to send us, uh, we are going to specifically regarding this uh, this series behind the buy. If you if we didn't cover something that you know you think we should have covered, or if you want to complain about Matt's uh, commentary, which I'll probably have send in my own, you can send it into info at legally sound smart business and com. Sorry, info at legally sound smart business com, and that'll go to us and. We'll take a look at um, what you have to say. Definitely. 
So, okay, go to our website, uh, LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com, and that'll also have our links to all our social media, which we're on pretty much every social media except MySpace. Mm -hmm. Are we on MySpace anymore? I think we stopped maintaining that. Yeah. So, and and definitely that has all the information of when our next episodes are coming up and, you know, some of the information about our series and, of course, the podcast itself. Yeah, definitely. And and I think we've discussed this before, but you can also find uh, blog posts we've written that go more in depth on some of the, the items that were discussed, not only in this episode, but the series as a whole. Oh, yeah. I mean, if, if you guys prefer, you know, reading instead of listening, which you're just weird. We have a ton of writing on the subject, you know, from from A to Z. So if you even want to skip ahead with some of this information of how to buy a business and everything behind it, then there's actually information like that already on our website. And if you email me one of the blog posts, I will read it, uh, record my voice, and then email it back to you. So Is that that sounds like a Fiverr thing. <laughs> That'd be perfect. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Yep. Keep us on. Keep us smart. Next on Behind the Buy. So I guess he has a broker now. His role is still a little unclear to me. I literally had to walk him through the buying process. You just listened to Legally Sound Smart Business with Asar Pasha and Matt Staub. For more information about the podcast, visit LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com. This podcast is intended but not promised or guaranteed to be current, complete, or up-to-date and should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. No attorney-client relationship is created by listening to or engaging with the podcast. The podcast does not constitute legal advice but rather is produced for entertainment and educational purposes only. Do not rely on the information on this podcast without first seeking the advice of an attorney. The opinions expressed in the podcast reflect the views of those individuals and does not necessarily represent the views of any other individual or business. This podcast may contain portrayals of clients by non-clients, reenactment of scenes, and persons which are not actual or authentic, and depictions which are a dramatization.